Good evening. Thank you so much for coming this evening. We'll continue reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha, uh, 29th Anucheda, a rather long Anucheda, but we will come to its conclusion this evening and move forward from there. So just to refresh our memories, uh, we are still discussing the Kesha avatars. So we'll continue where we left off. Now we offer an explanation of the verses from Mahabharat, beginning with Sachapi Keshao, Adi Parva. The verb Udba Barhe, uprooted, means that Bhagavan Hari displayed these two rays having extracted them from himself by the power of yoga. The word cha, expressing connection to the preceding discussion, is in sa chapi, incorporates the meaning of the prayers offered by the devas, the five indras, conveyed earlier in the same chapter. Again, remember that we're discussing, that Jiva now is, is presenting the same um, the same Leela but how it but uh, as it's presented in the Mahabharat the word api expressing inclusivity indicates that the causal agency in the matter of displaying these two rays Udbarhana is attributed to Bhagavan Sri Krishna and Sankarshan as well There's a little discussion here of the semantics. Uh, the indeclinable cha in tau, uh, tau cha apiti signifying the conjunction of words not directly spoken in the utterance means that Bhagavan and Sankarchan personally entered into Devaki and Rohini respectively. Additionally, this same word cha indicates that later on these two rays also entered into them Krishna and Balaram. Having attained unity to dot mya with them. The word api in the same phrase indicates that wherever these two rays entered he Mahavishnu and his umses also followed. On the other hand, the statement, one of them became Balaram, Adiparva, is made with the intention of pointing out their attainment of identity, the umsa and the umsi, as in the statement. And the statement reads as follows. Nara became Narayan, and Hari, Narayan, himself became Nara. Keshava is well known as the presiding deity of the Mahayoga Pith at the place called Keshava in Sri Mathura, and he indeed is Krishna. Consequently, this will be illustrated later and discussed in Anucheta 63. In the Sringa Purana, however, the word Shakti, energy, has been used specifically in the sense of Amsu, a ray of light, as an indication 
of their respective colors, as in white and black are my energies, who have appeared to slay Kamsa. Nisringa Purana 53.32 This statement is made with the intention of demonstrating that their purpose is identical. Then there's a footnote here. In other words, the task of relieving the earth's burden, burden, which actually belongs to Vishnu and not to Krishna and Balaram directly, is in fact accomplished by Vishnu's black and white energies, which enter into Krishna and Balaram during their manifest Leela. Hence, Krishna and Balaram's purpose of relieving the earth's burden is carried out by these two potencies that are implicit within them, their purpose being one and the same. A lot of detailed knowledge here, but the point really being made is that this whole this whole Leela has to be seen in the context of the completeness of the manifestations of Krishna and Balaram, and that their descent is truly a descent for Leela. And the other functions that may occur during that descent, like relieving the burden of the earth, is being truly done by the Vishnu potency that enters into them when they descend. So we understand when Krishna descends, Krishna Swayam Bhagavan, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, descends, all of his potencies come with him. And when we refer to all of his potencies, we also remain we mean all his parts and parcels. So all the various potencies of the Lord, all, all of the various potencies that are, could be, that are seen as partially displayed in any of his Guna avatars, in any of his Purusha avatars, in any of his Manvantaras, in any of his various other avataric descents, all of those are present in Krishna when he's when he comes. And they assist him and display their, their specific uh, functions during his descent. They're all one, but it's also a chinta beta beta tattva. So we even, from the Vaishnava point of view, hear statements like Krishna never leaves Vrindavan. And the Krishna that comes to Mathura and Dwarka is Vasudev Krishna. So this can be seen from two different angles of vision. First of all, Krishna manifests a form 
comparable to the method, the worship that he receives from his devotees. So we see once in a day of Brahma, Krishna comes himself and displays his Raj Leela. And when he comes, he brings his holy dom with him and all of his eternal associates. And he offers an opportunity in that descent, coming himself, um, for those who are aspiring to enter into a loving relationship with him, he provides them the prototype for the worship, the prototypes, because he could be worshipped in different ways, five primary rasas, uh, supplemented by many secondary rasas. He's, he's worshipped, and when he descends, then everyone who's who has an intent in their worship to become Krishna's associate or to worship in the mood of his eternal associates, the Rigatmikas, devotees develop a desire to worship like them. And therefore, he gives them an opportunity to fully perfect that desire through an observance of his Boma Leela, his Leela as displayed on earth. Once in a day of Brahma. He comes with his eternal associates and if if they've had, even if they have as Rishis a desire to enter into relationship with Krishna in a conjugal way, as we saw the Rishis that were present during the advent of Lord Ramachandra, well, they weren't able to pursue that loving relationship with that descent of the Lord, Lord Rama. But they were given that opportunity when Krishna descended. So the, as we've discussed a few times in looking at these various leelas that Jiva Goswami has put forth and the verses that he's put forth, all in support of the Pariva Sutra, this is the very unique contribution of the Gaudiya Vaishnavas who are following in the footsteps of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This, this recognition of the unique opportunity afforded by having this deep understanding of the Supreme Lord. So it's not meant that we become overly involved in the technicalities, but that doesn't mean that we neglect this knowledge. This knowledge is, is, is fundamental to understanding what and who Krishna really is. Now for the sadhaka, it nourishes his spiritual growth. But you find that it's interesting that in the ultimate issue, we're not aspiring to have a relationship with Krishna 
in Vraj, wherein we're even aware of all this detailed knowledge. The Vrajabhasis are not aware that Vishnu is an expansion of Krishna. They're only the only conception that's in their community, the cowherd community, is well, a great sage came to perform the name giving ceremony in secret because we didn't want Krishna to be harmed by Kamsa, who's this big demon down the road in the city that wants to kill him because he thinks he's God. And Gargamuni didn't even say he was God. He says he's going to act like God. Of course, those verses are going to be discussed as we move forward here. Um, but their their idea is, yeah, he does some pretty far out things. He exhibits some some power in destroying the demons. Of course, any of the cowherd boys could do that if they really wanted to. You know, they just let him do it because they love him so much. You know, they put him in the spotlight and he... But when it really comes down to it, well, they're, his, they're his associates, they're his friends, they're equally... They don't see that he's superior as far as, you know, he's the biggest bully on the block. It's not their relationship. Nor do they see that he's God. Nah, he displays some godly characters because some sage said that he would. And that's the extent of it. So it's funny, from our viewpoint, here we are, and we study all this detailed knowledge, we study the Goswami's writings, we understand all these intricacies of, of Swayam Bhagavan and all the avatars being in, uh, within, all the powers of all the avatars are there with Krishna, when he descends in his original form to offer that rare opportunity to those people who aspire to who aspire for the most intimate of relationships with him but in the ultimate end we want to leave all that aside we want to follow the rigatmikas we want to we want to practice raganuga bhakti wherein we cultivate the love that they display in their relationship with Krishna. That's what, as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, that's the ideal. And then, as we, we've heard, that really Gaudiya Vaishnavas, coming in the line of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, have two unique windows of opportunity, Sakya and Madhurya, and that the the other relationships, Vatsalya and Dasya, are are there, but they're not the emphasis of the Gaudias. So this is this is interesting when we hear these things that Krishna comes to play. He's coming here to play to display to display his pastimes in such a way that. His, his devotees, those jivas who have concentrated their worship and been blessed by the association of, of the sadhus 
who aspire to become, who are uh, Raganuga Bhaktas, when we hear these kind of statements like Krishna never leaves Vrindavan and it's Vasudev Krishna and here we read that actually it's Vishnu, it's the rays of Vishnu that are entering, entering into Krishna and Balaram and those rays coming from Vishnu that have entered into Krishna and Balaram are representative of the potency of Vishnu which will relieve the burden of the earth. That Krishna and Balaram, they're the vessel, but the potency is, it's, it's, a, it's a function of the Vishnu aspect of the Supreme Lord to actually provide that relief. Yes. I don't understand why it's stated though that these energies enter into them. As opposed to them already being... They're already, yeah, it's a good point. They're already manifestations of his energy, yes. But when he comes and displays his leela, his earthly pastime, they, just like here it says, Vishnu, as we read a couple evenings ago, he went back to, to his... Yeah, he went back to his island and he entered into the cave... And Garuda was allowed to protect him so that he, the essence of him, could enter into and participate in Krishna's Leela. Just like Naran and Nara Narayan, Krishna and Arjuna, the you know, the true great two great sages. They're it's it's a very unique opportunity for these various manifestations who are a chant of it. I guess it's like the flame. You have the original flame, then you light a bunch of other flames from that original flame, then they all come back. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Very nice. Yes. I just, I would just make sure I understood it. So, because Krishna, as Krishna, is not, he's just enjoying. So right. He's, he's Rasa Raj. So his, his mood, so this, these, this mood of this sort of powerful protector, peace-bringing, whatever, a holder of dharma aspect yeah. is not really, it's not part of his personality. Because we this this question has kind of come up before. It's not so part of his, his part's part of his, the essence of his essence uh -huh. resides in the relationships in Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what, that captures him more than anything else. That isn't say that he doesn't have a relationship with the queens in Dwarka. It doesn't have a relationship with the Bandavas. He, he, you know, and all the Yadus. He has relationships and loving relationships with all of those devotees. But it's a different aspect of his. It's not the. It's not the essence of his loving personality. That condensed the most condensed essence of his loving personality manifests itself in reciprocation to the love of the Rajabhasis. Nothing can exceed their love. And of all of them, nothing can exceed the love of Srimati Radharani. But 
he, that doesn't mean he doesn't love all of his devotees. As they love him, he reciprocates in kind. Some of them love him, but they don't give up their awareness of his godliness. Like the Pandavas, like the Yadus. They're in Dwarka. They, they are there and they recognize, here's this Prince Krishna, but he is God. He's the supreme personality of Godhead. And he's also our friend and he's a family member and he's the head of the, you know, he's the prince of the community and he's a warrior and on and on. So it's, it's all in relationship. This is what it means to be God. And this, this is the unique contribution in, under, in, in understanding in theology that's made available through the dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a chinta beta beta tattva. This is an understanding of God which just, it's, it's off the charts that he is one supreme personality of Godhead that manifests unlimitedly in relationship to the love of his devotees. It, is it hard to comprehend? Yeah, it's it's in it's drama. It's kind of normal, also. I mean, it's mm. what we experience every day with each other and with people in authority, and like with the guru, also. You know, it's he also has his internal life, but he reciprocates with us all individually, and you know. It, I mean, we all have those our but, intimate relationships. Yes, it's then. it's understandable because we've been schooled in it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not it's uh, it's understandable, as I said, because we've been schooled. But as far as a theoretical a theoretical application of that principle to the supreme Godhead, it's it's yes. that's what's unique. Yes. We can understand it in the context of you, that you've presented it in, but to apply that to God, that God actually is not just, you know, the old man on the mountain or throwing down the, you know, the thunderbolts or whatever, the, whatever our conception is, he's also that. He is the old man in the mountain. For those people who worship him in that way, he reciprocates accordingly. Bhaktivinoda Thakur had this kind of an understanding that you we cannot put our, you know, we have to be appreciative of all the understandings of the Supreme Lord up to a point. Up to a point. They have, you know, there has to be some uniformity in, in understanding specific attributes and not as being his spiritual character as opposed to material attributes that we may impose upon him. So if we can if we can enter into the mysticism of the various religious disciplines, we can appreciate that the Lord can re- reciprocate provided that those basic uh, theoretical, understandings are there that 
the Lord is not material. He doesn't have a material body like we have. And so some, but the idea that there can be an ideal for worshipers of the Lord that differs from Gaudiya Vaishnavism and, and, and can be attained, he was open to that idea. So he can be the great spirit of the Native American. Why not? As long as you recognize he is the, the all-pervading spirit. He may have attributes. And he, I mean, even you look at the, in the Bhagavad Gita, when you see this or that material attribute, know that underlying all these things is my potency. If you can see it in that light, then that's spiritual vision. Now then Jiva goes on here and he begins this, this paragraph begins, this strategy, however, is not found in Srimad Bhagavatam. Consequently, the statement of other Puranas are in conformity with the previous stated principle, such as the account some sages put forth. This is the third time he's brought this up in the Sanacheda. O wise king, but those who speak in this illogical manner contradict themselves having forgotten their own prior statements. It just goes to emphasize, Jiva's emphasizing, not all sages, not all moonies, not all sadhus see things in exactly the same way based on the depth of their understanding. At times, to conceal his true identity, Jiva Goswami continues, Bhagavan exhibits himself in a different manner which is then interpreted by sages, each according to their own understanding. Indeed, Srimad Bhagavatam 2.7.26 is in perfect harmony with the verses, verse from Vishnu Purana. Uh, both the verses that are being referred to here are the verses that, that put forth the idea that Vishnu manifested his potencies, hairs or rays or parts or energies, however you want to conceive of it, Jiva is saying this is the proper way to conceive it, but really the verses are in perfect harmony for one who has the deepest of understanding of what's being spoken of. In Srimad Bhagavatam 2.7.26, again, we're talking about the same verse, uh, referring to Vishnu, uh, the adjectival phrase, Kalaya Sita Krishna Kesha, who appears as white and black hair through his part, Kala, should be understood as follows. So now Jeeva is coming to, to provide his... His conclusion, the one who, by virtue of his partial manifestation, kala, or in other words, amsa, a kala or an amsa, is Sita Krishna Kesha, meaning one in whom such potencies are present, that very Bhagavan himself will appear on earth. That's what Mahavishnu was speaking to Brahma. The one who, by virtue of his partial manifestation, Kala, or in other words, Amsa, 
which some would read as hair, if you took a literal meaning of Kesha, or one of the meanings of Kesha, is Sita Krishna Kesha, meaning one in whom each, one in whom such potencies are present. That very Bhagavan himself will appear on earth. Therefore, even the statement of Sri Hari Vamsa Purana, which propounds this type of appearance of the Purusha, called Narayan, has been expressed with the specific intention of describing the drawing forth of the effulgence of Narayan and others. The drawing forth of the effulgence of the various avataric descents of the Lord coming together when Krishna descends. And then there is a presentation of, there's a preview of things to come in the 63rd Anucheda. And that is the following translation of the verse being discussed. This is an alternate reading of the same verse. To dispel the misery of the earth, which will be oppressed by the armies of the Asuras, to dispel that misery created by the Asuras, Bhagavan himself, whose partial manifestation has white and black hair and whose manner is beyond the scope of ordinary human beings, will personally appear and perform actions that exhibit his superhuman glory. This verse will be discussed at great length in Anucheta 63. Again, we see the translation where the use of the word hair is presented. Then Jiva goes on, Additionally, the entrance of all avatars into him, Krishna, is to be depicted with appropriate logic. So in other words, he's going to, we're not done with the subject yet. <laughs> Jiva's not quite done yet. In fact, up at, we're in Adjacheta uh, 29 here, and when he gets to 63, he's going to further uh, elaborate on this discussion. Now we come to a couple interesting things that I, I think you'll find uh, uh, enlivening. Consequently, although the Padma Purana Uttarakhanda, although in the Padma Purana Uttarakhanda, he is counted among the general avatars, yet in the context of deciding who is supreme among them, Three are broadly said to be preeminent. Nishringa, Rama, and Krishna are complete in six opulences. That's a quote from the Padma Purana. However, among the three of them, the superiority of Sri Krishna is implied by the rule of the increasing importance of the consecutive members of a set. So we have a set of three avatars being discussed in the Padma Purana, Nishringa, Rama, and Krishna. And based on a rule, 
Jiva says that the seceding, uh, in a set, the seceding is climbing in hierarchy, correct. So the consecutive number of, of the set. Therefore, in Vishnu Purana, Jiva continues, when Maitreya inquired into the cause of the non-liberation and ultimately of the liberation of Jaya and Vijaya in their forms as the three Asuric pairs, Haranyakasipu and Haranyaksha, Ravana and Kumbhakarna, and Sisupal and Dantavakra, Sri Parsharam revealed the super-excellent glory of Sri Krishna alone. Moreover, the Asuras cannot obtain liberation from any other avatar if unattained directly from Sri Krishna. Bhagavan himself has affirmed this fact in the Gita by twice using the emphatic particle Eva. In the following two verses to stress the certain degradation of the asuras due to the non-attainment of him. So now Jiva is saying, actually, we can look to the Krishna avatar, and it's only Krishna that can grant liberation. What's the evidence? Well, you can look to the evidence given in the Padma Purana, and also the Bhagavat Purana, I'm sorry, Vishnu Purana, to the fact that Jaya and Vijaya had three incarnations and they only attained liberation when they were in their final descent of Sisupal and Dantavakra when, Krishna, when they came into contact with Krishna. So Krishna, this Leela demonstrates the super excellent position of Krishna. Uh, the two verses from the Gita are the 19th and 20th verses of the 16th chapter. I perpetually hurl these vicious, cruel, inauspicious, and most degraded among men into demoniac species alone, Eva, to revolve in the cycle of birth and death. O son of Kunti, attaining Repeated birth in demoniac species, such fools certainly, Eva again, do not attain me, but sink down instead to still lower, lower births. So, Jiva's saying, Krishna's making it clear, even in his discourse with Arjuna, in the battle, uh, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, through these two verses, that only he can grant liberation. And if they don't surrender unto him, meaning him, meaning Krishna, that they're just going to continue in the cycle of repeated birth and death. Just as Jaya and Vijaya did in subsequent births until they actually had contact with Krishna. And now Jiva goes on to show the super excellence of Krishna in regards to his manifestation 
within the material universe, that once in a day of Brahma, that even the demons, what to speak of the devotees, even the devotees can only attain liberation when through Krishna. And even, even the demons, when Krishna is present, attain liberation. Jiva continues. It is learned from scripture that, on occasion, those who are inimical to Bhagavan attain mukti through the power of fixation, smarna, on him. But it is never stated anywhere that any other avatar or avatari can grant liberation to all those who despise Bhagavan. Hence, Parasara pointed out that the supreme manifestation of majesty, Aishvarya, is present only in three Sri Krishna, since he alone is able to award liberation even to those who could not attain it from any other avatar. Certainly, Sri Parasara gave a most fitting reply. Consequently, Jiva continues, after having stated that the direct realization, Saksatkara, of Bhagavan's all-inclusive opulence is the cause of liberation, Parasara found even this conclusion to be unacceptable, having reflected further that Putna and others attained liberation even with, without such realization and that Kalanami and others were bereft of liberation in spite of such realization. Rather, in the final prose text, he declares that the true cause of liberation is indeed the supremely astonishing nature of Bhagavan, who is specified as Sri Krishna. So, Kalanami is an associate of Ravana and he was promised half of Ravana's kingdom by Ravana. Now this is not in Valmiki's Ramayan, it's in another version of the Ramayan. But he's promised half. I mean, you know, Ravana really wants to win here. So Lakshman's been, he's, he's been harmed in the battle and he needs medication. So Hanuman is sent to get medication. And we know that Leela is in uh, the, the, the version of the Ramayan that we're most familiar with. But also sent to impede Hanuman was this associate of Ravana's Kalanami. And Kalanami was probably, if you, if you can stop Hanuman from returning with these medicines, then I'll give you half of what I have. So he went off to do that. But Narada was interjected himself and enlightened Kalanami as to who 
Rob really was the supreme personality of Godhead. So you would think under normal circumstances that that knowledge in and of itself would be sufficient for the attainment of liberation of one who is in the presence of the Supreme Lord. So that's Parasara's saying, well, wait, Putna, these other demons, what made them any better, what gave them any greater advantage than Kalanami? So he did not get liberation. He did not get liberation, but they did. Rather, in the final prose text, he declares that the true cause of liberation is indeed the supremely astonishing nature of Bhagavan, who is specified as Sri Krishna. Indeed, even when spoken of or remembered out of malice, this Bhagavan, referring to Krishna, awards a result that is rarely attained by the host of suras and asuras. What then can be said of the result he bestows on those who are replete with devotion. From all the above, it is to be understood that in the view of the Bhagavat, Jaya and Vijaya were required to take three births because their liberation was possible only through Sri Krishna. For this reason, Sri Narada made the following declaration specifically in regards to him. And then Jiva quotes from the 11th canto. Out of enmity, kings like Sisupal, Pundra, and Salva constantly thought of Krishna's gait, play, glance, and so on, even while lying down on their beds or sitting comfortably. Consequently, their minds were imprinted with the shape of Krishna's form, and ultimately they attained the liberated state of similarity with his form. What then can be said of those whose minds are lovingly attached to him? In a similar vein, Sri Brahma said, Pralamba, Dainuka, Baka, Keshi, Arista, the wrestlers, Chanaka, uh, Chanura, and Mustika, the elephant, Kuvalapida, Kamsa, Kalayavan, Naraka, Pundraka, and others such as Salva, Dvida, Bhavala, Dantavakra, the seven bulls, Sambara, Vijuratha, Rukmi, the kings of the Kamboja, the Machas, the Kurus, the Kekayas, the Srinjayas, and other warriors on the battlefield armed with bow will be killed by Sri Hari Krishna himself under the names of Balaram, Arjuna, Bhima, and so on and will attain to his abode. So this verse from Brahma seems to indicate that Krishna's potency was in Balaram, Arjuna, and Bhima, as if it was he himself that was doing the killing. Oh, but the other demons. Yeah, yeah, right. Sri Krishna is the bestower of liberation to all, whom he kills. By his supreme prowess, because his nature is such that he overwhelmingly attracts the heart of one who remembers him by what whatsoever means. This type of nature, 
Jiva goes on to say, however, is not found in other avatars. Hence, they cannot award liberation to the enemies killed by them. As such, Vena, who was inimical towards Vishnu, did not attain liberation because he was lacking the same degree of mental fixity of Vaish on Sri Krishna as found in those enemies already referred to. For this reason only, Sri Narada concluded, therefore one should fix one's mind on Krishna by any means whatsoever. It is thus established that Sri Krishna does indeed possess all surpassing extraordinary potency. So Jiva goes on to discuss the fact that now we're, we're dealing with a Mahavakya and he has established the great Mahavakya, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam, by removing all various statements that stand in opposition to it. Consequently, such a process should not be disregarded thinking that its relevance is applicable only to Srimad Bhagavatam. It is only the strength or weakness of particular statements that is to be considered and not their abundance or rarity. It is observed even in practical life that a single hero can defeat thousands of soldiers in battle. All right, thank you very much.